I hope today will be a help to us as we talk about this idea of living the gospel, living the gospel from Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through verses, verse 37. Let's pray again this morning, and as I pray, I ask that you would pray, and again, just seek God's face, that he would speak to you in a particular way that you need to be spoken to, and as we go through this together, as God speaks, I pray that we would respond to him. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite preachers, I love what he says, when, when God's word is clearly preached, then God's voice is clearly heard. heard. So I pray this morning that as we listen to the Word of God preached, that we would hear not my voice, but we would hear, hear the Word of the Father as He's speaking to us. So let's pray. God, we thank You this morning for the opportunity to gather in Your house. God, we thank You for the, the testimony of the four this morning who have said, hey, we're followers of Jesus and we want everyone to know. God, I pray they would continue in that boldness, that You would continue to move them forward in their faith and their walk with You. And God, for the rest of us who are saved, I pray this morning that we would take it as a challenge to also live out our faith in a bold manner. May we passionately follow you, Jesus, for you deserve it. And for those who have never trusted Christ here this morning, we pray that by the end of the service they would recognize that they have a need and only Jesus can meet that need. God, regardless of what their religious background has been or even what their moral standing is, God, I pray that they would understand that there is, there is rescue and there is freedom in the person of Jesus Christ. And I pray as we talk through the gospel today that, that the Spirit would work in their hearts and draw them to you. We pray for your word to do a great work in us as we think through this scenario with Jesus, again, talking with his disciples. God, it, it appears again that they had they had gotten distracted from the mission. They had become unfocused or rather focused on the wrong things instead of staying focused on the person of Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning that we would see in our own lives where that may be a reality. And as you point that out to us, God, I pray that we would turn from that distraction and that we would look on Jesus fully. Thank you, God, for the privilege that it is to gather. May you use this morning for our good and your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Living the gospel. I want to start out this morning, as I often do, with a simple question. And I pray that as you think through this question, it won't just be something that you think of in this moment today here at church, but you'll think through it maybe throughout the rest of this week as you evaluate your own life. And the question is simply this, what are you living for? What are you living for? This question really seems broad or, or maybe a little generic, doesn't it? We know that what we should say, but if we were to check our motives and examine our desires and actually express our goals that we have deep within our hearts, what would the driving force of our lives be? From an earthly or fleshly perspective, we could probably quickly come up with a list that sounds appealing. Maybe we would say we're living for success or fame or maybe notoriety. Maybe you would say you're living for anonymity or quietness or seclusion. Maybe it would be a quest for joy or peace. Or maybe you would say you're living for the now to get all you can get because you know you're not going to be here forever. I would dare say that many of us, if we were asked this question, would try to come up with something noble or some value or principle that, that we know sounds good, but it may not actually be what is in the depths of our heart. 
Well, as Christ continues to pour into his disciples today, we see that he is again driving home this idea of living the gospel. He's blunt with them. He speaks very plainly. He doesn't make living the gospel seem like something it's not. But as always, he simply speaks the truth. And he does this for their good. His desire was that these men that he had poured into would one day take the charge in seeing the gospel gain ground as they followed the Spirit of God as he led them in their lives. And while the disciples in this moment were caught up living in the day-to-day with a focus on the now, we know that Christ was living with an eternal purpose. This is seen in all he does. This is seen in all that he says. And his desire was to pass this along to them. So I asked this question a moment ago, what are you living for? Would you say that you're living for the temporal or the eternal? Are you letting the gospel prioritize what you do and how you live? Or are you focused on living for things of a lesser value? One of the things that has been impressed upon my heart in our time studying the gospel of Mark is that Jesus never lost his focus. Aren't you thankful for that? Jesus is at the moment in his ministry where he begins to focus everything on making the journey to Jerusalem, making the journey to his final destination where he would be hung on a cross. And if there was ever a moment in life where you would want to be distracted, wouldn't that be it? I don't want to think about what's ahead. I know it's coming. I know it's God's plan. But that's not what I want my heart and mind to focus on. But Christ was the very opposite. Not only did he focus on what was to come, But he was calling those who were following him to focus on those very things as well. And so Christ never lost his focus, but the disciples, on the other hand, always seemed to be distracted. As Christ was teaching them, as he was leading them, they never understood what he was saying. He always had to reteach things or reiterate things because they didn't quite get it. And we can say, and I know this is true, that Jesus was God and the disciples were mere men. And oftentimes we do that as a disservice to ourselves, don't we? We say, oh, Jesus was focused on the eternal things because he was God, but the disciples were just regular people like us. And if they were distracted, then it's okay if we're distracted as well. But can you tell with the way that Christ continually taught these things that it wasn't actually okay for them to be distracted? His teaching was always bringing them back. It was always coming back to the point of who he was and why he came. And so so instead of giving ourselves a free pass and allowing our distraction to be a major part of our lives, I think we would be wise to do what Christ was calling the disciples to do, and that was that they would just simply focus on Jesus. So as we go through this text today, I would ask us, are we living a life that paints a picture of the gospel? Are we living a life that shows others the change that Jesus has made in us? Are we living in such a passionate way in pursuing Christ that when people see us, they see a major difference in us? Or are we living according to our distractions? Are we taken captive by the things that are of a lesser value? I wonder what answer we would give this morning. The big idea today is simply this. If the gospel is the central mission of Christ, then the gospel should be the central focus in my life. If the gospel is 
the central mission of Christ, then the gospel should be the central focus of my life. And we can agree right this morning that the gospel was indeed the central mission of Christ's life. Do you agree with that today? Everything he did, everything he taught, every word he spoke, every healing and every miracle was pointing to the greater work that would be done through his life being given on a cross and then rising again the third day to secure salvation for all who would believe. The gospel was the central mission of the life of Christ. And if that's true, then the gospel should be the central focus in my life. I want to see three things this morning about living the gospel. And I do pray that they would be a help to us today as we go through this text together. The first thing, to live the gospel, the gospel must be the center. The gospel must be the center. In verses 30 through 32, we'll read it again. It says this, And they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask of him. If you think back a couple of weeks ago, we, we were asking the question, What just happened? What is this on the heels of? What is this coming after? And we remember that Christ was transfigured, and after that, him and Peter and James and John came down the mountain. And they found the disciples being questioned by a group of religious and political leaders. And the disciples probably had no idea what to say in that scenario. And Christ comes in and says, hey, what are you doing to my disciples? Why are you bullying them? Why are you being rude to them? Why are you, 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 you uh, treating them in this manner? And then a man speaks up and says, hey, I've brought my son. I brought him to your disciples to heal him, but they couldn't do it. My son has a horrible condition where he, he throws himself in the fire. He throws himself in the water. He has these seizures and he's completely out of control. And Christ understood in that moment that the reason he was facing these things was because of the evil spirit that was within him. And Christ, as he always did, he heals this little boy. And the disciples asked a question as they wandered away. Why weren't we able to heal him? You remember what Jesus' response was? Because these only come forth by prayer and fasting. And what did we say that prayer and fasting really symbolized? Submission to Christ and dependence upon Christ. Submission to Christ and dependence upon Christ. And after that scenario plays out, that's the part of the story that we have picked up in this morning. And Jesus departs from that place and he's walking with his disciples and he began to teach them. And what he taught them was the central mission and the central theme of his life. He says the son of man, which is the classification for Jesus. And so basically he's saying, I am going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men they're going to kill me, and at the end of my death, in three days, I will rise again. And the Bible says in verse number 32 that they didn't have an, an understanding at all of what Christ was speaking about. Now, we would ask the question, as they left that scene, and Jesus said, these only come forth by prayer and fasting, it almost would have made more sense if Jesus went into a deeper teaching on what that meant. Or maybe he stopped to show them, hey guys, I'm the only one who could do this and here's the reason why. Or maybe, hey guys, let's just stop and focus on the display of God's power through my life. But that's not what Christ does. As he leaves the scene where he had just healed the little boy, where this father had demonstrated such great faith, as he says, Lord, I believe, 
but help my unbelief. Jesus goes on to say, hey guys, just so you know, I'm going to be killed. And then three days later, after I'm killed, I'm going to rise again. And what is it that Jesus was doing? You see, as cool as the miracles were and as impactful as the miracles were, Jesus understood something that the disciples had not yet grasped. And that was simply this, that if all Jesus did was come and perform some earthly miracles, then everybody he healed and everybody he didn't heal would be in the same place eternally, hopeless. But why did Jesus come? He came to give hope. Now, what were the miracles? They were signs pointing to the reality that Jesus was the Son of God. But the healing miracles, the feeding miracles, the teachings that Christ gave about the Christian life were not the primary emphasis of his life, but rather the gospel was. And what is the gospel? It's none other than the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as he's walking with his disciples in this moment, as he's teaching them. This word taught is in the imperfect tense in the Greek. And what that means is the teaching that had started back in chapter 8 is really continuing in this moment. This journey that Jesus was on with his disciples was not block sessions where they would move from one subject to another, but it was a continual teaching about the reality of who he was and who is Jesus. He's the Savior. And how does he save? He saves through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection. And so what is Christ doing? He's focusing the eyes and the hearts and the minds of the disciples on the truth of the gospel. And why does Jesus do that? Because the gospel changes everything. These four that were baptized here today, they weren't baptized because of their good works or because they saw some religious person do some really good thing. Why were they baptized? Because Jesus has changed their life. He stepped into their life and saved them when they had no hope. And their eternity is changed. And because their eternity is changed, their lives will change. And so what is Jesus saying in this moment? That I have come to do an eternal work. But this eternal work also impacts everything about you in the here and now. And what is that work? It's none other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, as we get to verse 32... Mark is very honest and says that these guys didn't understand anything that Jesus was saying, and they were afraid to ask. Now, why do you think they were afraid? Because how many times had Jesus called them out for their lack of attention, right? Have you ever been in one of those scenarios before where you're supposed to be paying attention, and uh, it comes time and somebody asks a question, and, and maybe the question is just very simple, and they're like, do you understand? And in your heart of hearts, you're like, I have no idea what you just said, but for sake of, or for, to save myself from looking like a fool, I'm just going to nod my head. Yeah, I got it. You just keep going. I understand. The disciples were fearful because Jesus had got on them several times already for not getting it. What did he tell them earlier in Mark's gospel? How is it that your hearts are still so hard? How is it that your ears are closed and your eyes have not been opened? How do you not understand? And so as Jesus taught the gospel, they didn't get it, but they weren't going to ask because of fear of embarrassment. And so they let Jesus just go on. But can I tell you the truth, church? One day they got it and it changed their lives. One day they got it and it changed their lives. If we fast forward in the New Testament and we get to the book of Acts, which is 
about the establishment of the church and the, the pouring out of the Spirit and, and, and the organization of God's people in a way that, that glorifies Him, we understand that they got this idea of the gospel with their whole heart. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preached. And what did he preach? He preached the gospel and thousands of people got saved. In Acts chapter 3 and 4, we see that Peter and John preached the gospel one more time. In Acts chapter 5, they went at the bidding of the angel of the Lord to do what? To preach the gospel. In Acts chapter 6, as the word of God increased, which would have been the preaching of the gospel, guess what also took place? The number of the disciples multiplied. Why is that? Because the gospel changes things. In Acts chapter 7 and 8, Stephen preached the gospel wholeheartedly and he did it to his death. As he died, he saw the heavens opened and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And what did he say? Lay not this sin to their charge. Why? Because Stephen believed the gospel. In Acts chapter 9, the guy that called for Stephen's death, this guy Paul or Saul who was going around beating Christians and throwing them in prison and wanting to see them killed, we see that he has an encounter with the gospel and he believes and his life has changed. In Acts chapter 10 and 11, Peter gets a broader understanding of the gospel. Peter was like us sometimes. We, we like to box God in. And Peter was thinking, man, the gospel is only for the Jews. And you know what God told Peter? Peter, you're wrong. The gospel is for everybody. And you know what Peter says? I now understand that God has people in every kingdom, of every tongue, of every race who are his when they believe the gospel. In Acts chapter 12, James is killed for the gospel. In Acts chapter 13, Paul preaches the gospel boldly. This guy that once persecuted was now a preacher. And why is that? Because when the gospel is at the center of our lives, it changes everything. And when we make the gospel the central mission of our lives, we will see that it changes the lives of those around us. I wonder today, is the gospel at the center of your life? Is the gospel the reason behind all you do? Is the gospel the driving force by the, for the way that you treat people, the way that you, you speak, the way that you think, how you live your life? Parents, is the gospel the center of how you're raising your children? When's the last time you sat down with your kids and told them that they are loved by God supremely and God showed his love to them by sending his son Jesus to die for their sins? Grandparents, when's the last time that you sat with your grandchildren as you're driving down the road and say, hey, can I tell you how the gospel has changed my life? You see, when the gospel is center, it means that everything that we do centers around that one thing. But maybe before we start sharing the gospel with others, maybe before we make it an emphasis to tell everybody else about the gospel, maybe we need to be reacquainted with the gospel ourselves. You know, one of the best practices that you can do in your life as a believer is to remind yourself that you were a sinner who was separated from God, but Jesus stepped into your life and saved you. And what is that truth? It's the gospel. And so I would ask you this morning, is the gospel the center of your life. And so now we know, as Christ left this scene where he had just healed this little boy, we know why he, as they started walking again, 
continued in this teaching. Why? Because he wanted the disciples to get it. He wanted their lives to be saturated with this truth that Jesus was God in the flesh who lived a perfect life, who came and died on the cross for the sins of the world so that we could be forgiven. And as he rose again victoriously, he sealed hope and salvation for all who would place their faith and trust in him. And that was the central mission of Jesus' life. But can I tell you today, that's also the central theme of the whole entire Bible. Everything is pointing to Jesus. Everything is calling our attention to look to the one who would die in our place so that we could be forgiven. And I would be a fool this morning if I didn't stop here for just one minute and ask this question, have you believed the gospel? You see, you may be here today thinking to yourself, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I do pretty good things. I have good morals. I'm a generous person to those who are in need. And I won't discredit those things one bit. Those are great things. But can I tell you today that none of those things will save you? The Bible says that all of our righteousness, all of our good works are as filthy rags when compared not to other people, but when compared to the holiness of God. So I would ask you this morning, have you believed the gospel? Have you believed this truth that Jesus died for you and that apart from Jesus, you have no hope in this life or in the life to come? You see, there's a reason that Jesus hammered the gospel over and over again. And you know what that was? Because Jesus believed what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, that the gospel is the only way of salvation. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And you may say, I've done too much wrong. Friend, the gospel, as we sang about this morning, the grace in the gospel is greater than all of our sins. So I wonder today, will you believe the gospel? And for those who are here today and you are saved, I would ask you this, is the gospel the center of your life? I had somebody tell me a while back, you, you talk too much about the gospel. <laughs> Friend, I'm going to talk about the gospel till the day that I die. Why? Because it's the only message that changes lives. I can preach morality, and you know what? We could have seasons of change in our lives, but they will not last. Why? Because those seasons of change are, are only empowered through our own efforts. But when we preach and believe and live the gospel, the Spirit of God does something in us, and we don't have seasons of change, but we see a lifetime of change because of the power of God in us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the first thing... If we're going to live the gospel, we must understand that the gospel must be center. The second thing this morning, if we're going to live the gospel, we must understand that the gospel denies self and serves others. Now, we like this idea of the first one, make the gospel the center of my life, and I'm just going to praise Jesus, right? I'm in the shower, and I'm praising Jesus. I'm in the car, I'm praising Jesus. I'm at church, I'm praising Jesus. But it's not just about praising Jesus, but he goes on to reveal to us how it is that we praise Jesus, and that's through a demonstration of the gospel in our lives. So to live the gospel, it's obvious. The first one, the gospel must be center. But to live the gospel, we must understand that the gospel then denies self and it serves others. Now, who is the hardest person to deny in your life? It's me. When I wake up in the morning, who is it that I want to serve? I want to serve my will, my dreams, my wishes, my desires, my hopes, my fears, my anxieties. 
my doubts. But the gospel turns things around. It says it's not about you, but rather the gospel teaches us that we're to deny ourselves and that we are then to serve others. And so as Christ was speaking with them, the Bible says that they finally come to Capernaum and they come to a house. And this probably was Peter's house. And as they get in Peter's house, Jesus asked them a question. He says, what is it that you disputed amongst yourselves, by the way? What were you guys arguing about back there? Jesus is actually pretty funny if you read the Gospels in the right light, right? Jesus already knew. He knew everything that they were speaking about. He knew what was in their hearts. He knew what was in their minds. And so Jesus was not asking them what they were talking about to gain information. But it's kind of like as a parent to your child, when you ask your kid something that you already know has been going on, you don't ask for your benefit. Why do you ask? For their benefit. To say, hey, I'm asking you this, but I'm asking you because I already know the answer. And I want you to understand that you didn't sneak anything by me. You didn't trip me up. You haven't fooled me. And so as Jesus asked this question, what is it that you disputed about, uh, uh, disputed about among yourselves as we walked down the road? The Bible says they held their peace. They're like, we don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. Oh, you weren't talking. Peter said a few things, but you know Peter. He's always running his mouth. Thomas was just sharing some of the doubts that he had. You know, doubting Thomas. He never believes anything anybody says. They held their peace. Why did they hold their peace? Well, Mark tells us the reason they held their peace was because they were disputing amongst themselves who should be the greatest. They were caught, weren't they? In this moment, they knew that Jesus knew. Jesus knew that Jesus knew. And this is one of those awkward moments where you just kind of hope Jesus starts talking about something else, but Jesus doesn't. And in verse 35, the Bible says, And he sat down and called the twelve unto him and saith to them, And if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Guys, I know what you've been talking about. I know that you were disputing as we walked down the road about who was going to be the greatest when my kingdom is finally set up. And remember, their whole focus, their whole mindset was still on Jesus overthrowing the Roman government and setting up his kingdom in that place. And their desire was not just to serve in the kingdom of Christ, but their desire was to be the greatest in the kingdom of Christ. They wanted to be number one and number two. We see this account all throughout the scriptures where the disciples were constantly fighting for the best position. And what they misunderstood is that the best position when you, was when you were on your knees serving those around you. And why is that a reality? Why do we know that? Because that's the example that Christ lived out. He was the greatest of all but he came as servant of all. He was the one that should have been lifted up and elevated. And we saw it just a moment ago after Jesus healed the boy. What did it say? That he didn't want anybody to know about it. Why? Because he had a greater mission than being elevated by the people in that moment, in that day, in that mission that he had that was greater was to serve in the way that the Father had sent him to serve. And so if we're going to live the gospel... We must understand that the gospel teaches us to deny ourselves and to serve others. Jesus says again, if any man desires to be first, the same shall be servant of all. Those are eloquent words 
by our Savior. But doesn't that sound oddly familiar to what Jesus had already taught? If we backed up to Mark chapter 8, you can turn there just a page over. In verses 34 through 38, Jesus says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the angels. If we backed up and and read all of that passage, we would be reminded one more time of how Christ was teaching his disciples about finding true life. And in this moment, their idea of true life was being number one in the kingdom. But what does Jesus say? True life is found when you're the servant of all. If we were to go to John's gospel, as Christ came towards the end of his life, we find that as they were in the upper room in John 13, what did Jesus do? He takes a rag and a basin of water and he kneels down and he washes their feet. Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in my kingdom. Peter being Peter says, not just my feet, but everything. Jesus, give me a bath, right? I need all the washing. And Jesus is like, Peter, you're misunderstanding once again. I'm washing your feet as a, a sign of the greater work that I'm going to do in serving the world as I would die on the cross for their sins. And the world says, if you're going to be great, then you have to get people to recognize you and notice you and applaud you and encourage you and lift you up. And Jesus says, the way to be great in the kingdom is to find the most menial task you can do and do it for the glory of God. And then, and then only you will be great. When you live your life as a servant, that's when you'll be elevated in the kingdom. We don't serve in the most menial positions because we want to be elevated. We serve in the most menial positions because we want God to receive the glory. And so I would ask us today, as we think about living the gospel, how are we doing in this area of denying self and serving others? How are we doing in in our lives when it comes to setting aside our wants and dreams and our desires and saying, I I want you to do this. I want you to go there. I, I, I have had several people reach out to me recently about going to other churches. And I'm not saying this to toot my own horn. I'm just saying this. I'm not going anywhere. I don't want to go anywhere. Some of the opportunities that have been given to me are great opportunities. But you know what? I want to be here. Why? Because I love you. And I know this is where God has me. Brianna and I were talking about it last night. She said, I, don't, I really don't have a desire to go anywhere else. These are our people. And you know what? I could look at that and say, man, I could go there and make this. And if I went there to make that, you know that I would not be a servant at that point. I would be a slave. And who would I be a slave to? I'd be a slave to my own lusts and my own desires and my own wants. And so I want to be here. Why? Because this is where God wants me to be. 
And I don't, again, say that to toot my own horn because I mess up all the time, and you guys know that full well. Uh, I'm a very flawed individual. But I would ask us this morning, how are we denying self and how are we serving others? How are we denying those lustful passions within us so that we can say, God, I want what's best for my life and I know what you have is what's best for me and it may not be what the world understands is best and it may not even be what I understand is best in the moment. But God, I want you above all else. I want to deny myself. I want to pick up my cross and I want to follow you wherever you want me to go. And in my denying of self, God, I'm also going to make an effort to serve others. And the truth is, you will not truly serve others until you have truly denied yourself. And oftentimes we make it look like we're serving others. But in the back of our minds, you know it often is there. Man, you're doing a good job. Man, people are going to recognize this. They're going to recognize that. They're going to applaud you for this. They're going to applaud you that. But when we've denied self, our only thought should be, man, I hope God gets the glory for this thing. Man, I hope this person that I'm serving right now, they're, they're not a a son or a daughter of God, I, I pray that through my service, they would understand the need that they have for Jesus to be their Savior. And so the gospel, if we're going to live it out, it teaches us to deny ourselves and to serve others. And again, I would ask us, how are we doing in these things? Christ said, you want to be the greatest of all? Then you better be the servant of all. And what an example that is to live in front of our children, in front of our grandchildren, in front of an onlooking world, that they don't see us claiming recognition for ourselves, but they see us serving even when no recognition is given because we're serving ultimately the one who served us, who is Jesus Christ. So living the gospel means that the gospel must be at the center. Living the gospel means that we understand that we are to deny ourselves and serve others. Living the gospel finally this morning means it causes us to see people differently. In verses 36 and 37, the Bible says, And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one such children in my name receiveth me. Whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Jesus is a masterful teacher. and I know I make that statement often. But every time I read through these scenarios, it just blows my mind once again. I wish that I could sit at the feet of Jesus. And, and one day, friend, we will sit at the feet of Jesus. But I wish I could have been in the room when some of these things took place. And so as Jesus is talking to his disciples about who is going to be the greatest, as he's talking to them about serving those around him, Jesus takes a child and he sets that child in the middle of those grown men. Now, you have to understand a couple of things. First off, the disciples were rough and rowdy men, right? They probably weren't signing up for nursery, and if they signed up, we probably wouldn't let them serve, right? Elise would say, no, guys, we have enough nursery workers right now. We don't need you. They were rough guys. They were, they, they were filled with, with uh, hostility at times. They were, they were driven by their own passions and lust, and they lived out their lifestyle in, in a very boisterous way, if I can say it kindly, right? They, they were rough guys. And so Jesus takes this baby, and this is one thing I like about Jesus, is that Jesus liked babies, and I like babies, and so Jesus and I have a lot in common. 
Jesus takes this kid, he places this baby in the middle of these men. Now we understand the disciples were rough men, but we also have to understand something about children in Bible times. The infant mortality rate in Bible times, babies died all the time. And so you know what babies were not? They were not valued. They were not set on pedestals to say, oh, this thing is something special, this thing is something great. They were often overlooked because they had nothing to offer. They couldn't make somebody's agenda be fulfilled or dreams come to fruition. They were overlooked, overlooked because they didn't have much to offer. And so Jesus brings this child, sets them in front of these disciples who were rough men, and then Jesus picks up this child to show his loving affection. And I'm sure, as we've already seen with the disciples, or as we will see in Mark's gospel, that the disciples didn't really like kids, right? There was a time where people were trying to bring their kids to Jesus, and what did the disciples say? Oh, he doesn't have time for your kids. He's got bigger things to do. And what does Jesus say? Bring the kids. I want the kids. Because the kids are a valuable example and illustration of what it means to come to Christ by faith. So Christ is now holding this child, and Christ says this, whosoever shall receive one such children, or whosoever receives or welcomes a child in my name, receives or welcomes me. Whosoever receives or welcomes me, in reality, receives or welcomes the one who sent me. And who is the one that sent Jesus? It's the Father. So Jesus is making a point. He's, he's giving an illustration here that the gospel does something in us and it causes us to see people in a vastly different way than we've ever looked at them before. People in the Bible times, they looked at children as a burden. They looked at children as, as again, something that could not add value to their lives because they could do nothing for them. And Jesus is saying, but the gospel changes things. It's interesting that in our world today, much of that thought process has been shifted to us where people don't value children. How many babies are killed every year in abortion? Think through that. So we're living kind of in the same with the same mindset, with the, the devaluing of children. But Jesus says the gospel causes us to see things differently. And when we welcome or receive a child, Jesus says, you're welcoming me. What is Jesus not saying? He's not saying that if I came down here to Fitz and just grabbed him from Josh, I'll take him. That, okay. Jesus is not saying that now I've received him. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about your heart. He's saying, though this kid... Yeah, he's cute, isn't he? I think you guys would pay attention a whole lot more if I carried a baby the whole time. I'll let you have your son back. Um, Jesus is not saying that if we're just kind to people, then that means that we will receive Christ. But he's talking about a whole different mindset and a way of living, that we begin to value those who the world doesn't value. When we were in Wales, we were talking to Dave Campbell, and he shared that... um, that people that struggle with anorexia now in Wales, that they, they put them on life support. They don't try to help them mentally. They don't try to help them physically. They just put them on life support and keep them comfortable until they die. Can I ask you why that is? It's because we don't value things that are a burden. 
We don't prioritize things that to us have no value. And so in, in, we can see it in our world in children. We can see it in our world in people who struggle mentally or physically. We, we look past them because they have no value to us. But what is Jesus saying? The gospel causes you to see people differently. And in the disciples' mind, they would say, this child has no value because they can't do anything for me. And Jesus says, you've missed the point. It's not about who can do something for you. It's about what you can do for them. Because being the greatest in the kingdom is not about being served. It's about being a servant. And so it's no longer about who you can get to carry out your agenda and your dreams and your desires, but it's about who you can serve. And Jesus says, when you receive or welcome these people who can do nothing for you, do you know what that's proof of? That you've received me and that you've received my Father. And what is receiving Jesus and receiving the Father? It's none other than the truth of the gospel. So the gospel causes us to see people differently. It's no longer what they can do for me, it's what I can do for them. It's no longer seeing that person on the side of the road who's begging and saying, if you had just made different choices. But it's saying, man, how can I reach this person with the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's about seeing that person in church, and I know we don't have any, but other churches do. The people who who are a little different, right? The people who frustrate you. And I'll just tell you this, if you have somebody that frustrates you, I can guarantee that you frustrate somebody else, right? So let's not think too highly of ourselves, but how are we serving those who can add no value to our lives, who can give us nothing in return? Jesus says the gospel causes us to see things differently. And while the disciples were vying for a prominent position in the kingdom of Christ, Jesus is saying, hey, if you just start serving a little more, if you just start loving me a little deeper, then you wouldn't care about these things any longer. And so to live the gospel, the gospel must be centered. To live the gospel, we must understand that the gospel denies self and it serves others. And to live the gospel, we must understand that the gospel causes us to see people differently. And how do we see people because of the gospel? We see them as souls that Jesus died for. We like to talk about Imago Dei, the image of God being stamped on every individual in creation. But do you know that every soul has value for eternity as well? Every soul has value. And I wonder, how are we serving those who we would like to look past? Jesus gives a parable on this in Luke chapter 14, verses 16 through 24. I'm going to read this, and then we'll wrap things up. The Bible says this, Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray Thee have me excused. And he said, I have, another said, I have bought a yoke, five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. I, I could attest to that one. It's probably legitimate. <laughs> Verse 21, he says, So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes in the city and bring 
in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be fulfilled. For I said unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. What is going on here? Jesus is giving a parable. A parable is simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning or a deeper truth behind it. Jesus gives this parable, says there's this man, a rich man who had prepared a meal and he had his servant go out and and invite all these prominent people who could come. And when the meal was ready, the servant goes out and says, hey guys, the food is ready. And these prominent people began to make excuses. One said, I just got married, I can't come. One says, I need to go prove my five yoke of oxen right here at this moment in this time. Uh, one, one gave another excuse and the servant came back and said, Master, nobody's coming to the feast that you invited. Now we have to understand in the parable that Jesus gave, the people in the first section were the religious elite. We could even say it was the Jews as a whole. As, as Jesus came into the world, he came primarily to the Jew, right? When the Jews rejected him, the gospel then spread to the rest of the nations. We understand that's true. And so as Jesus gives this parable, he's revealing that, hey, the prominent have been invited and they've been rejected. Do you know who the servant didn't invite on that first go-around? The sick the poor, those who couldn't walk, those who people looked over. And so the master says, okay, go out and invite these type of people. The servant went out, he invites them, comes back and says, what you've asked is done, and they came. The house began to be filled, and then what does the master say? But there's still room. So go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come. You see, what Jesus is illustrating, and we can use it to go along with our portion of Scripture today, is sometimes we only think about a certain group of people when it comes to the gospel. But what is Jesus saying? Preach the gospel to everybody. Live the gospel in front of everybody. Show the gospel to everybody. And what's going to happen? The master's house is going to be filled. Now, do you determine and do I determine who gets to be saved? No, God knows who's going to be saved. But he calls us to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. And that means every creature. We can't say you deserve the gospel and you don't. We can't say, I'll give you the gospel, but I won't give it to you. But we must serve everybody, even those that we generally overlook when it comes to spiritual things. And if we do this, then we'll be living the gospel. Living the gospel is not about you, but it's all about him. Living the gospel is not about status or climbing a ladder. Living the gospel is not about who you know in the earthly, but it's who you're serving in the eternal. And I would ask us again today, are we allowing the gospel to be the thing that drives us day in and day out? When we wake up in the morning, do we say, God, I know I don't even deserve another breath, but you've given it to me and I'm going to live this day for your honor and your glory so that all around me can see that Jesus is the king. Had somebody come to me this week and say, Hey, you know how you you kept telling us during COVID, hey, stop posting so much about everything that's going on in the world and just post about Jesus. You know how you kept telling us that? 
They said it finally clicked with me because now I have people who are posting things that annoy me and all I see is their, their propaganda and their videos about this thing or that thing and I finally get it. Do you know why I encourage the church to not get into the day-to-day humdrum of what's going on around us? Because there's more important things. And what is the most important thing? The gospel. I think people should read their newspaper but above reading their newspaper, they should read the gospel. I think you should listen to the news because it's good for us to have an understanding about what's going on in our world so that we can draw people to the truth through what's happening in our world. But if all we know and understand and take in is daily events, then we are missing a grand opportunity to point people to the truth that will indeed change their lives. I wonder today, are we living a life of self-denial? Do we make our dreams the highest priority or do we make the commission of Christ the highest priority? And I wonder today, are we seeing people as Christ sees them? As souls with an eternal value? Or do we simply see them as people who are in our way? The big idea again this morning was this. If the gospel is the central mission of Christ, then the gospel should be the central focus of my life. It's seen when I make the gospel the center. It's seen when I deny self and serve others. And it's seen when I begin to view people as Christ sees them. So church, are we living the gospel? I hope you are. And if you're not, I hope you will. In every area of your life, may the gospel be prominent. And then friends, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, I wonder today, do you believe the gospel? We prayed leading up to our spiritual reset that lives would be changed. And friend, lives were changed. Why were they changed? Because the gospel makes a difference. I wonder this morning, has the gospel made a difference in you? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, and that all who come to him by faith can have their sins forgiven? They can be rescued and redeemed and reconciled to a holy and just God. That they can become children of God. Do you believe that? Is that a reality for you? As we close our service in just a moment, we're going to sing a song, and I'm going to make my way to the back of the church, as I always do. We have questions about how you can be saved. Friend, meet me there. You say, that's too much. I'll, I can't walk out during a song. I usually am here till 1 o'clock on a Sunday. Hang out in your car till everybody else leaves. Come back in, and guess what? We can have a conversation about the gospel. Why? Because it matters that much. One of the things Josh, my brother, said at the men's conference is true. You have time, but you don't know how much. You don't know how much. So let's believe the truth of the gospel and let today be the day of salvation. God, we ask this morning that you would have your way in our lives. For those of us who are saved, God, may we just simply live the gospel. May we take the challenge from your word and live it out daily. And God, for those here today who are not saved, they've never trusted Christ, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would have the peace that you have offered through the shed blood of Christ, that they would receive forgiveness of sins. God, work in our hearts. We thank you for this time that we could gather. In Christ's name I pray, amen.